in the Old Testament. So for some of you, you might have been, when I told my students I was going to be doing something on prophecy, they were really excited that they were going to come to a seminar where they'd leave with the gift of prophecy. That is not what we're doing tonight. We are going to be looking at the prophecy books in the Old Testament. Um, so those are the books, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and the 12 uh, prophets who run from Hosea to Malachi. So it's that bit of your Bible that you probably don't go to that often. It's probably still fairly pristine. It's pretty pristine in my Bible. That's the section we're thinking about. And hopefully, um, we're thinking about how do we read um, that style of writing. Um, Let me say up front that I don't consider myself an expert in the prophecy books. Um, I really want to understand prophecy better. It is something that I've been working on for the last while. Um, I'm so thankful for the chance to lead this seminar because it's really made me think a lot more about it. Given a title on having to share with lots of other people about how to read prophecy really puts an edge to your own personal study. Um, So yeah, I'm going to share with you some of what I've been learning over the last couple of years, and hopefully it'll help you enjoy this section in your Bibles. Um, If you leave feeling ready to to read those parts of your Bible, then I feel like I'll have succeeded. You won't leave knowing everything about prophecy. In fact, I imagine by the end of the seminar, you'll probably have a lot more questions than you even have now at the start. Um, That'll be a good thing. Almost as we start to get into it, do we really realize the challenge that there is um, in the prophecy books? Um, So the way this seminar Um, is going to work is that I'm going to do most of the talking now at the start um, and then I'll give you two separate group discussion times and I'll speak for a few minutes between those two discussion times and then at the end I'll hand back to James. Um, So I want to begin by helping us understand the historical and biblical context and then we'll think about the style of language which the prophets wrote in. Um, So that's the first thing, the historical and biblical context. When it comes to understanding any book of the Bible, the historical context is really essential. And I um, particularly want us to consider where the book comes in the progressive story of God's redemption plan. By locating where books come in the story, you're more able to grasp their meaning and their purpose. God took the Israelites on a journey, and he still takes every reader of the Old Testament on a journey where through the lives and events of the nation of Israel, we discover God and his redemption plan. So we start in Genesis where God made promises to Abraham of a wonderful land and a great people. He promised to dwell with them and for David's son to be their king. He promised rest from their enemies and great prosperity. And then the Bible story follows those promises. And it carries on for several hundreds, thousands of years, and we get to King Solomon. And King Solomon, the wisest and richest of rulers, said in 1 Kings chapter 8, and verse 56, Blessed be the Lord, who has given rest to his people Israel, according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by Moses, his servants. So, If you go through the Old Testament, you track the promises, and then Solomon says, the promises have come true. But things didn't stay glorious for long. Israel quickly spiraled downwards. Solomon turned out to be not such a great king, and when his son took over, things got much worse. The kingdom split into two kingdoms, 
Israel and Judah. Both parts declined further and further, with the occasional good king who tried to stem the tide of wickedness and fight their battles. But the general, the general movement was downward until first Israel was exiled by Assyria and then Judah was exiled by Babylon. So as you go through, that's, you come to the end of two kings and Israel and Judah have gone. They've both gone into, um, into exile. And it was during the sad period of history that the prophets, people like Jeremiah, Isaiah, and Zephaniah, they lived and spoke during this downward decline of Israel and into exile. And it's not a coincidence that they lived during this period. As the nation of Israel crumbled and fell apart, the prophets began to reveal the global, the cosmic redemption plan of God. What looked on the ground like the end of the story was in fact the beginning of the next phase of revelation. Instead of God's promises coming to a stop, they became even bigger. They went from being about one nation in the Middle East to a people from all nations in a new creation. And the prophets straddle the shift from old Israel to new Israel. They are the bridge between the shadow kingdom to Jesus' global kingdom. They transition us from the land of Israel to the new creation. However, as you read the prophets, you don't need to spend much time in them before you quickly discover that trying to decipher what concerns historic Israel and what is about the global redemption plan is really difficult to tease apart. The shift isn't clear because the new covenant is described using language and imagery and geography, which is very much grounded in the Old Testament and the nation of Israel. God revealed new things, but they sounded very like the old things, which makes for confusing reading. You see, the Old Testament had established an essential foundation or an essential framework so that God's cosmic redemption plan could be revealed and understood. I think for us, it can often seem like the church today has very little in common with the Old Testament, but God only ever had one plan. He only ever had one set of promises. God has always wanted to save a people for himself and to dwell with them forever. And it's the prophets who establish that and show us the continuity between the old and the new covenant. But as they stress the continuity, the reader can easily struggle to distinguish what exactly is new and different. The first readers and hearers would have struggled to grasp how enormous the changes were between the old and new covenant because it sounded so similar. So no wonder we will struggle today, although, you know, we live a lot further on and the New Testament does help us a lot, but it still is sometimes hard to figure out who's being referred to as you read it. I hope that bit of context will help you appreciate the significance of the prophecy books. They help us understand the shift between the Old and New Covenant, and they reveal God's cosmic redemption plan. These books may not be opened very much, but they are so relevant to us today. Now, the other thing before I set you off is I want to think about the style of writing in the prophets. The prophets, I have, that's a new slide, Basola. The, um, the prophets are like artists. They create word pictures and arrange them into art exhibitions. 
So that's the prophets uh, are like artists. They create word pictures and arrange them into art exhibitions. I'm not even that much of an artist, and I rarely go to galleries, but I think um, this, this analogy does work. The prophecy books contain a wide range of writing styles, but poetry takes up a large proportion. And basically, the whole book of Zephaniah is poetry. Poetry consists of metaphors and similes, imagery and sensory descriptions. The poetry and imagery is organized into small sections to create individual word pictures. Scenes are composed through poetic descriptions. It's often easier to grasp the scenes if you close your eyes and imagine them. The pictures capture one moment in time, and the, cap and the camera is firmly focused on a particular aspect. It's fascinating to see where the spotlight is focused and what's in the shadows. It's only as you create the scene in your mind do you realize what exactly it is that the prophet is drawing your attention to. Another thing about poetry is that the language is often emotive and thought-provoking. So as you imagine the pictures, you need to try and capture the mood as well. We often want to quickly skip to the meaning, but take your time and allow the impression to sink in. Really feel it, as that will help you properly understand it. I'm going to take us through an example of a word picture. Um, so we're going to open our Bibles in Zephaniah. That's page 944. So now you get to find this little bit, this little section. Um, and I'm going to read just verse 2 and 3 of Zephaniah chapter 1. I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away both man and beast. I will sweep away the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and the idols that cause the wicked to stumble. And that's it. That, just those two verses is the first picture. This is a picture of God sweeping away the earth. The Lord's voice practically booms over the earth. I will sweep away. I will sweep away. I will sweep away from the face of the earth. From the face of the earth. The language is bold and strong. And the picture is made comprehensive with the specific labeling of man, beast, sky, sea, all mankind. Everything will be swept away. If you try to imagine the, the, uh, the picture of God sweeping away the earth, it's of him casting it aside. The way you sweep away some dirt on the kitchen floor, the Lord is going to sweep away the earth. It's such a powerful image. And the mood or feel of a picture can often be hard to identify, but I think the mood in this one is one of utter confidence and completeness. There is no hint of God changing his mind. He says he will sweep the earth away, and you, you get the feeling that he, he's never, that, 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 that word stands true. And the feeling it creates in you as you read it might be one of sadness or anger or just a bit confusion when you're trying to figure it out. But actually, you want to, when you're thinking of looking for the mood or the feel of a picture, you're not trying to think of the, the feeling it 
um, it creates in you. Um, you're more trying to think, what was the, the feeling that the, the prophet, that God was trying to capture in this picture? So the, this image of God sweeping away the earth, the mood is one of strength and completeness. Now, as we process it, we might think, oh, I don't like it. It's one of, it's slightly horrifying or it's, um, it makes me really sad for the people I know. But that's not the mood of the picture. So the mood of the picture is one of real strength and, and, and sort of, yeah, completeness. Um, so sometimes as you process a picture, um, mood is really important. But I think sometimes just going with the way we feel um, can distract us from the feeling that God was trying to communicate. Um, you'll see as you go to have a go what I mean. Um, so the other thing to say is just this image um, of sweeping away the earth. Sweeping away is, is an image that's universally understood. Um, but the images which the prophets use are often taken from, from everyday lives um, or from historic events in the Old Testament. Uh, so sweeping away would have meant the same, you know, a couple of thousand years ago as it does to us sweeping away. Um, however, there's some words that wouldn't translate across For example, if I said to you the word bonfire, most of you, if you've lived long enough in England, would immediately think of Guy Fawkes night, you'd think of fireworks and a cold November evening. If an Israelite heard the words Sodom and Gomorrah, they would immediately think of a wicked city, utterly destroyed. So the context that the Israelites lived in, the history that they lived in, um, really shapes the poetry that's used. Uh, In fact, Zephaniah uses in chapter 2 that exact image of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, So in order for for poetry to come alive and have its intended effect on us, we will need to be familiar with our Old Testament. Um, We're going to have to think um, and place ourselves maybe in 700 BC into the everyday life of someone back then or back into the the history of Israel and the kind of um, things they grew up understanding like Sodom and Gomorrah. So the more we know our Old Testament, the more we will know and be able to make sense of the prophets. And I think that's partly why they're so confusing sometimes, is that maybe we don't always know the things they're referring to um, in the earlier parts of the Old Testament. Um, so, the po- the, so the prophets um, create uh, and arrange these word pictures, and then they put them and organize them into what I've called an art exhibition. Uh, So every book in the Bible has a unity and a cohesiveness, and prophecy books are no different. It's just that the order isn't immediately obvious or easy to work out. The word pictures aren't arranged in tight logical order, like Paul's argument in Romans, nor is it strictly chronological, like 1 and 2 Kings. I find that thinking of the prophet as arranging an art exhibition is helpful in that he pieces together the pictures— The prophet creates a whole composition. He's interested in communicating an idea rather than a a sort of set um, moment in time and how something will exactly work out. Uh, the uh, The prophets position pictures in such a way so as to communicate a message. It's almost as though they line them up so that as you walk through the exhibition, you will gain an impression. Um, as you, so as you listen to the, the word pictures the prophet creates, he's taken you on a journey from the beginning of the book to the end. Um, and your job as a reader is to try and understand what's the overall message. Um, what is it by the end of this book? What kind of journey have I been taken on with these pictures? Um, you might think if I was to give this exhibition a title, what would it be? If I was to na- label like all of these pictures, what would be the whole um, exhibition title? 
So that's some of the background on the kind of style of writing and the history and biblical context. And it's time for you now to have a bit more of a go. Um, so the questions are going to come up on the screen. Um, I'm going to read the passage for us, which is from verse 4 um, to verse 13. And then, as you can see from the pictures, it will uh, the questions, um, your job will then be to together kind of work out what are the different pictures, what's the focus and the camera angle in each picture, what's in the spotlight, what's the mood, um, could you give a picture a label? To begin with, you might think, are there even separate pictures? So that'll be part of the discussion. And you're just trying to, yeah, kind of have a go. Um, and I guess it's great if lots of people can get involved and feel free to say, oh, I'm not so sure, because I think that'll happen. I tried this out with um, some of the SBS leaders on Thursday night, and when I set them off on this task, they didn't have a clue what to do. And for five minutes, they just um, yeah talked about, what is a picture? So I hope I've explained it slightly better this time around. But don't worry, if it doesn't go well, that's okay. I will be, I'm going to walk around and maybe, uh, yeah, I'll be able to help. But um, let me read these verses for us. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem. I will destroy every remnant of Baal worship in this place. The very names of the idolatrous priests, those who bow down on the roofs to worship the starry host, those who bow down and swear by the Lord and who also swear by Molech, those who turn back from following the Lord and neither seek the Lord nor inquire of him. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated those he has invited. On the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all those clad in foreign clothes. On that day, I will punish all who avoid stepping on the threshold, who fill the temple of their gods with violence and deceit. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will go up from the fish gate, wailing from the new quarter and a loud crash from the hills. Wail, you who live in the market district. All your merchants will be wiped out. All who trade with silver will be destroyed. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are complacent, who are like wine left on its dregs, who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. Their wealth will be plundered, their houses demolished. Though they build houses, they will not live in them, Though they plant vineyards, they will not drink the wine. So you've got 10 minutes now to have a go working through the questions. I think it looked like there were some good things going on on the tables. Um, We don't have time to hear from the tables, um, but I'm going to share with you just a few of my thoughts on the passage. Um, I think verses 4 to 13 along with the kind of art exhibition idea, are like a mini collage, a composition of several different pictures, which all capture the judgment that will happen in Jerusalem. Um, This judgment is happening in different places, on different people, um, but all on that same day. And and so the, the focus of the picture, the camera, seems to be at one moment is on people in foreign attire, and the next moment it's on those who bow down, and then the next minute it's on the traders and those who build houses, and you're sort of, you're moving around, and you're looking at different people, um, 
So I, I see them as separate pictures because how would you get all of those people in the one picture, even though they kind of all together form a composition or a collage of judgment that happens um, across the city. Um, so in some ways, it doesn't matter where you make the splits. Like you might have kept verses 10 to 13 as one picture, or you might have divided into a couple of different pictures. And that, that's sort of okay. There's, it's not like there's a, there's a really right way to divide a picture. Like, oh, like as in, yeah, you, <laughs> it's okay to be like, oh, I think it's two or I think it's one. That's okay. Partly, it's just that you're getting into the imagery and really thinking about it. You don't want to get too bogged down on what exactly is in one picture. Um, I had verses 10 and 11. I separated them out into just one little um, word picture where it says, On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will go up from the fish gate, wailing from the new quarter, and a loud crash from the hills. Wail, you who live in the market district. All your merchants will be wiped out. All who trade with silver will be destroyed. And I think this is a picture of a city filled with screaming. That's what you would, if you could just take a take a snapshot, that's what you'd say. You'd say, that is a city filled with screaming. It's, there is crying all over Jerusalem, in the fish gate, in the new quarter. There's a crash in the hills. It's in the market district. Everywhere, people are wailing, screaming at the top of their lungs. We don't know if the wailing is from physical pain or whether the wailing is from terror or whether the wailing is from a sense of remorse and regret. So it's not a picture which explains the cause of the wailing. It's just a picture of wailing. Um, and sometimes that's hard. We want to kind of maybe uh, already inject meaning. Um, it's, a, like, it's a picture of a city attacked. It doesn't actually say it's a picture. Not, it doesn't show us a, a picture of a city attacked. It currently is just a picture of a city screaming. So sometimes it can be hard not to add on extra things. Well, that must mean this. Um, so trying to just take the picture at kind of face value, um, yeah, it can be hard to do, but a good thing. And that's what you're kind of trying to do the more you look at uh, and read through the prophecies. Uh, so yeah, what's clear is the mood is horrific. The punishment is serious and widespread. Um, the passage you looked at on your table were all of Jerusalem, but the opening picture was of the whole earth being swept away. And Zephaniah has created this, um, arranged these pictures so that this shift from the whole earth being swept away suddenly to a zoomed in close up on some within the city of Jerusalem being destroyed. Um, and if you take a look uh, at verse 14 to the end of the chapter, um, you'll just see that Zephaniah, he shifts back again to a global picture of destruction. And this arrangement makes you ask some questions. Why has he begun with this kind of whole earth being swept? Woom, zoom in to Jerusalem and back out. Whole earth, day of distress, day of destruction. Um, he's organized it so that you are going to ask some questions. You're going to wonder, how does this all fit together? Um, and I just want to say that I know these pictures, um, we've kind of just been studying them in a bit more of an abstract way, but they can make us feel quite uncomfortable. Um, and I want to say that God doesn't shy away from this. Um, as you read through the prophecies, you realize that there's a lot of the prophecies are, are like this. Um, they're pretty gritty, hard read. Um, so although we might squirm, I think God really wants us to pay attention to it. Um, however, I just want to give you one more task, just for five minutes on your table, um, and that's to look again at the final, now this time, the final chapter of Zephaniah to see a slightly happier picture. 
Um, So just five minutes on this one, and it's Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 14 to 17. I'm going to read it out loud, and then you can go off and discuss it. Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I'm actually going to carry on and read the last one. So there's two pictures. So that was one picture. This is the second picture. I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and an approach for you. At that time, I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes. Um, So the questions, which are basically the same as before, are on the screen. Um, So have a look and um, happy discussing. That was your five minutes. Um, So we're just coming up... um, finishing up now. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that first picture um, with all the singing. Um, It's so glorious to imagine it, and it's such a contrast to that earlier picture when Jerusalem was full of wailing. Um, Now it's filled with singing and gladness. Um, I don't know if you noticed that the people are singing, and God is also described as singing. He is delighting in his people. Um, Compared to that other picture where we saw he was going to punish them, In this one, he is rejoicing with them. Um, The image also, it really seems to be a picture of celebration. No longer is there any fear. In fact, we're told the people will never fear harm um, ever again. Uh, The Lord has saved them. This really is a party. Um, As those who were saved are celebrating, and they're celebrating with the one who saved them. Um, It's just a, it's such a a happy, joyful, loved-filled picture of kind of safety and security of people who've come, you know, they've come to the end and they're just overjoyed together. Uh, And I think maybe to begin with, you don't get that real sense. It takes a while of kind of talking about the pictures and it all probably feels a bit, I don't know, stale to start with. It's hard to suddenly be like, oh, isn't this amazing? Oh, this picture, it's so moving. I, I can't imagine that was really said by anybody on a table. But actually, the longer you sort of ponder over um, the image and maybe try to close your eyes and picture it and and try to imagine how the people felt, that's when you start to think, oh, yeah, this is, this is amazing. Um, So you really do have to take your time. It's not the kind of thing you can kind of quickly and move on to the next one. Because if you do that, then that's why we read our Bibles and think, oh, I don't know, it's a bit dry, a bit dull. It takes, yeah... We have to set aside the time, enter into the imagination um, of what the the prophets are saying. Um, 
And I mentioned earlier, actually, um, about the, the way the language is kept the same between the Old and the New Covenant. And um, you've had a chance to just see a little bit of that as we saw a picture of wailing Jerusalem. And now here we have a picture of joyful Jerusalem. Um, and joyful Jerusalem, I'm sure to us, all seems like a New Covenant picture um, of people who know that um, the Lord has saved them and then they never again need to fear any harm. Uh, but the thing is, they're still in Jerusalem and they're still called Israel. So this picture of something new um, is really cloaked in the language of something old. And that's where uh, it can be difficult to distinguish who is being talked about and whether is this something for the new covenant or is this something for the old. Um, and the last picture, I hope you had time to just look at verse 18 and 20, is of Zephaniah, um, it's not of Zephaniah, Zephaniah describes God gathering his people. Um, and it's just interesting that that's the picture that the book closes on. So Zephaniah opened his exhibition with a picture of God sweeping away the earth. And then he closes with a picture of God gathering his people and making them the most praised in all the earth. Zephaniah deliberately chooses the picture that he starts with and the picture that he ends with. Um, and that's, as we read through our prophecy books, we want to think about what is this order that's going on? What, what is um, God trying to say to us um, through these pictures? And I think one of the things we can say is it seems that the end of the earth does not mean the end of God's people. You, you would, they would have really thought, living before Jesus, that how could a world be emptied of all its people and yet there still be people? But for us, we can understand a bit better how that makes, but this book's just setting out that idea that the end of the earth doesn't mean the end of God's people. Um, and that's something the prophets are doing is that they're not telling you everything. They're not, draw, they're not giving you all of God's new um, redemption plan. They just give little parts of it. This book might just be saying the world will end, but it won't be the end. And we think, oh, I want so much more. I want to know how it's not the end and when it won't be the end and how, do you, how does this work and who will be kept. And the book might not answer all the questions. It sets out something, I'd say, pretty clearly. But often the prophets leave a lot more things so sort of a bit unclear. Um, so don't worry if there's many things that are left with questions. Um, instead, run with what's the big thing that um, the prophet seems to be uh, getting across. So that's all we have time for. Um, I hope you found this a useful session. Um, the best way to learn and read prophecy is to have a go. The more you read, the more attuned you'll become, and it'll start to make more sense. Um, don't worry if for quite a while you seem confused. I think that's very normal. Um, and uh, why not read through Zephaniah and have a go at finding all of the different word pictures and appreciating the way Zephaniah has curated this art exhibition? Um, another way uh, to help your understanding of prophecy is to read more of the Old Testament, as that will really help you with all the poetic images. Um, but also, make sure you come back over the next few weeks as James will be preaching on Zephaniah, and so we'll find out lots more about this book, and James will help us understand what the pictures mean. And if you have any questions on anything I've said tonight, um, then I would <coughs> love to talk to you about it. As I said at the start, I know I'm not an expert. I might have said things that you maybe disagree with tonight. I would love to chat about it. Um, I'm still trying to think more on this topic. So please do come and, and talk to me. I would love that. Um, James, I hand back to you.
do take a seat. And just before uh, we have a few notices and sing our final song, I'm going to give us uh, five minutes an opportunity to pray uh, around the tables. Uh, it may be that some of the uh, imagery that we've seen in Zephaniah um, has stirred you to, uh, to want to uh, pray or um, thank God. It may be some of the words we've been singing. Uh, also, there's other things, of course, going on in the world, coronavirus, people you know who are um, suffering or sick, uh, things are on your hearts. It's only going to be five minutes, um, so keep the prayers brief. Um, But turn on your tables now uh, and just uh, pray uh, together uh, for a few minutes.